off, I'm going to do a quick introduction and then we're going to hop into this conversation with B tonight. My name is Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas. I am CEO and founder of EJT Consulting LLC and Get Launch Consulting. EJT Consulting is my personal consulting business that I launched, oh my goodness, a little over four years ago, October of 2017. At the time I was a school principal. I was previously a teacher, instructional coach, AP, all of those good roles. And at the time, I was in a season of transition and started my consulting business. And it actually funded my way to go back to graduate school full-time where I got my doctorate at Harvard Graduate School of Education. And then in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? People ask me all the time how they can get into education consulting. Of course, like my whole entire network is educators. So like, I want to I wanna do something to help people make that move. And that is how Get Launch Consulting was birthed, which is a business coaching program for high-performing educators from marginalized communities to provide them the business tools to help them grow a six-figure consulting business. And I'm so excited for you all to meet B tonight because she has a beautiful story. She has a really beautiful story about her journey. I have a feeling she's going to preach to us tonight because <laughs> like when you as you get to know her tonight, there's just something about how like your spirit and like mm-hmm. how you make decisions and how you I, I, I don't know, there's just like so much goodness in you that I'm like if you're going to see the theme again of being purpose driven in this conversation, um which has been the theme throughout the week. So I'm going to kick it over to B, who was cycle four of the program. B, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell the people, introduce yourself, and then walk us through your education movie trailer. So when I say education movie trailer, give us a a high-level overview of your journey in education, some of the stops you made along the way. Yep. Yes, sounds good. Thank you first and foremost, EJT, for like having me here and allowing me the opportunity to share my story and to share the work that I'm doing. I am so incredibly grateful for you because I really believe that I would not be where I am today and doing the work that I'm doing if I had not had your support. So I just want to shout you out and share with everyone just how amazing you are and what a blessing you've been to me. So uh, that being said, my movie trailer. So I guess I... I always like to begin with where I'm from and who I'm from because those things are very, very important to me and it's something that I always anchor myself in constantly in the work that I do and just in my personal life as well. So that being said, I'm first generation. I'm proud daughter of my mother who immigrated here from Honduras um, in her mid-20s, not knowing the language or the landscape. And really, you know, as so many immigrant stories are, coming to this country for a better life for at the time, my brother, because I wasn't born yet. Mm. (laughs) Um, And so being from her, she raised me and my brother. I feel like in so many ways, she clipped her own wings so that we could fly. And I never take that for granted. And I always, like I said, re-anchor myself in, in that truth, in the work that I do. And it really fuels my passion for this work because as you'll see or hear, my story and the work that I do is so deeply rooted. They're interwoven with one another, right? Like this is not work to do. This I, this is not work for me. It's really my life's work. It's my passion. Born uh, in Brooklyn, raised in the Bronx. I think I got a few of my uptown fam up here. Hey. Uh, <laughs> so I got to shout that out. And I was the first in my family to go to college. And when I graduated, I very much wanted to go into a field that allowed me to give back to my community and to serve children and families such as mine. And so I went ahead and went into teaching. I joined Teach for America. And, you know, in my head, I was like, all right, you know, I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll go back to grad school. I wanted to get my degree in psychology to be a counselor because I thought at that time that that would be the the Mm. most proximity that I could have. But what I realized was when I went into the classroom that that was actually exactly what I was looking for. It was the exact level of impact, proximity, and just opportunity that I really was meant to step into. And I fell in love with my students. I fell in love with the practice and the art of teaching. I fell in love with witnessing them, their magic, their brilliance. 
their learning and even my own learning. Um, because I think one of the things that, especially as novice teachers, this is definitely true for me. You know, I thought that I was going to go in and I was going to be the teacher, right? But in so many ways, my students and their families actually taught me. So I fell in love with that process. And um, I actually remained in the classroom for about 13 years and ended up taking uh, a year off from after those 13. Well, I, I should back up a little bit. During those 13 years, I got my master's in bilingual bicultural education from Teachers College, Columbia University. Come on. So that. don't ask me how, because I did that <laughs> while I was teaching. And looking back, I'm like, that was God. But yeah, so I did that. And then I also served as an adjunct instructor for Long Island University in their graduate education program. I did that for several years. And then, you know, like t- towards, I was getting closer to that 10 year mark. I was like, man, I want to do more. I want to do more, but I love my kids. I love this work. Like, I don't know if I can leave. And so eventually going through some personal things ended up getting, you know, deciding to take a year off. When I took the year off, I started to just explore like other ways in which I could make an impact in the field of education. Long story short, ended up reconnecting with an old friend who was working at TFA he told me about this new role that they were creating for the first time on a national level, supporting the, the work that they were doing around linguistically diverse students. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I applied. Long story longer, I got the job and I found myself in this situation that I did not anticipate, which was basically having to decide to leave the classroom. Mm. And so I did. I did it. I took the leap of faith and I worked at Teach for America for about seven years. Um, and during those seven years, I led the national work that the organization does around supporting linguistically diverse students and then also started leading the national work they do around culturally relevant pedagogy. So really in that work, I was setting the vision at a national level. I was designing and facilitating learning experiences for staff and for teachers across the country. It was almost like I felt like at that time I was um, what I like to say is like the teacher living the teaching. Like I had Mm. learned so much up until that point as a classroom teacher. But now I was living that in the ways in which I had to sort of like create learning experiences for novice teachers and the staff that were supporting them. So that was a really another beautiful chapter of, of my life's work. And what I realized during that time as I was working with adults now was just like this inherent connection that exists between who we are as people, you know, our life story, our lived experiences, and how that manifests in what we do and how we do it. So much of what I was experiencing initially was people were very hungry, and understandably so, because teaching is is an important job, right? So we need to know what we're doing. People were very, very hungry for the what and the how, but weren't really paying attention too much to the who. And so looking back now, it was so interesting in preparation for our time together today, I was journaling and I'm like, you know what? Like I realized that we were so focused on pedagogy, but we had to equally focus on the person. And that is what then led me to decide to get my certification in coaching because I wanted to be better equipped to really support the person in the process of the pedagogy. And yeah, and then, you know, there was a time, actually, this was just last year that this happened. They were going through like we, what's that called? Restructuring. And my role was eliminated. But I think it was a blessing in disguise. Um, And I can talk more about that um, later if you'd like. But in a nutshell, that's sort of the the movie trailer, as you say, like the, the journey that has led me to the work that I do now, which is, you know, consulting and coaching. Ooh. Oh my that gosh. Okay. No, it was so good. Like <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's interesting, you know, having these conversations, you know, throughout the week and having people start their movie trailer. First off, I think, I think it's, it's always an interesting data point around how people choose to share their story, right? Because it's it's indirectly people are communicating their values mm-hmm. of what they choose to share around their story of origin or their story of self. So some people could share titles, some people, you know, s- step into the storytelling element of it, some people connect it back to their family. And so that's just one of the things that I'm sitting in is in in your story tonight and all of the movie trailers that we've heard this week. Everyone's has started their story around either family. Um, And so for you, we heard you talk about your mom and that inspiration for 
Alexis. It was the educators in her family. Christina was talking about that last night. And then there's also like this deep purpose for the work too. And so Fahari mm-hmm. was talking about that, of just like the values of, of what's driving you in this work. And so that's just what I'm sitting with of just like, I, I feel like my spidey senses can tell pretty quickly, like when someone is values aligned or not, mm-hmm. um, or what their values are. And that's just a piece that like, it just gets me really excited when I hear you all tell your story. So you were kind of, Getting into this of, okay, so it sounds like there was a little bit of a a pivot point kind of where you kind of ended your story of there's almost a little bit of of this decision to make, which wasn't, you found yourself in a position and and please correct me if I'm I'm incorrect, but it sounds like you found yourself uh, in a position that you didn't choose of having to make a decision on, all right, what's what's my next step or my next chapter? Mm -hmm. Um, And so what made you decide to explore education consulting at that pivot point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It was not my decision. I was, I mean, as those of you that, those of you that are on now, I don't know if a few of you might already know, I, I was, was and still am extremely passionate about the work that I did at Teach for America. So I would not have chosen on my own to go. However, in retrospect, as I said, I think it was a blessing in disguise because I started to get sort of like that same, I don't know, like pull is what I like to call it. When I was in the classroom around that 10th year, I started to get that pull, like you're ready for more. You need Mm. to expand the scope of your impact, you know, like start exploring. It's okay. You know, so I started getting that pull, but I just said to myself, like, oh no, you're not ready. You'll, you'll do it, but you know, just, you need to get ready. You need, I I don't know what I meant by get ready, but I just felt like I was not ready. And God was Mm. like, you're ready. Mm. It's time. Um, Mm. So, I mean, I think for me, it was something that was already starting to pull at my heartstrings for a while. And I was just scared. Uh, I Mm. knew that it was something that I wanted to do. It was something that I wanted to explore. You know, I had this dream of also this freedom that I am so blessed to now have working for myself. It was something that I started to get small pockets, like tastes of it throughout my life, especially towards the end of my time at Teach for America. And I was like, yo, like I need to just go for it. But I was scared, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. like I said, you know, God was just like, I'm not waiting for you. Just push me right off the (laughs) the ledge. Um, Yeah. It's it's so interesting because I feel like, because we had talked about this during like, one of uh, during one of our conversations this week of like, you know, it's a terminology I, I took from my copy coach because she used this language and I thought it was just such spot on of like, you just start to see these glitches in the matrix. You see certain glitches and you're like, it, it's, it starts to open you up to the possibility like that maybe there's something more than, you know, that I'm capable of or something bigger and better that I should be considering and exploring. It almost kind of like starts to, to disrupt your equal equilibrium a little bit, or almost Mm -hmm. like disrupts, like it, it, it it starts to make you question your complacency of like, it, it, it feels like I'm being drawn to move and it looks different for, for different people. And I find this so interesting because I deeply resonate with your story of like, there are some of us who've been in the position where like something outside of our own context happens that forces us to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me and my own story, I've, I've shared this, you know, for, uh, in a number of conversations, but I was a principal and loved the role. And then there was a school board decision of we're getting ready to add 300 kids to your school mm. and we're going to displace 15 teachers, which means you're not going to get to interview anybody mm-hmm. and we're not going to increase your pay. <laughs> like, like we're getting ready to, to shake some stuff up. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I really want to stay here, but I can't stay. Mm. <laughs> because like, mm. I, I can't, I, I know I could do it, Right. I don't want to. Yes. Yes. I don't want to. Yes. And, um, you know, I have to say that one thing that I omitted from the story is that I was, although my role was eliminated, I was offered a new role that had been created that was basically my job plus two other jobs. It was a safe way to go. And I could have done it, but I just felt like I'm a very spiritual person. So I, I just felt like God was like, are you going to trust me? 
because mm. I am leading you to this place for a reason. So are you going to take my hand? Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to play it safe? And, um, I mean, listen, I'm, it was not easy. People who know me, like I, I gathered my village around and I cried and I prayed and I talked to them and I'm so grateful for them because they walked that decision with me. They knew how difficult it was, but yeah, I mean, what you just shared just really resonates with me for sure. Yeah. Mm, so let's let's talk a little bit about because you said a really powerful word of like it's a journey of trust. And so like what are our moments where you you found and so just to put this in context, you know, B did the program. She was cycle four, so that was la- that was in twenty twenty. So she's been in her business for about a year now, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So this is really exciting context because of, you know, you've, you've already been in your business for a year. And so we have some like interesting data to hear about (laughs) of like the first year of your journey. Yeah. And like, when you look back on that first year of your journey, what were the moments of trust that like you had to like explore and like face, like, tell us a little bit about what that trust journey looks like. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a beautiful question. And I'm like, which one do I choose? Which moment? <laughs> like, there have been so many moments and there still are, I'm like currently living a moment right now. Oh God. You know, I think, so I think a few things come to mind. The first, and I'm having a hard time like sort of articulating this because I want to connect it back to the work because there's a real connection there. And that is just trusting in and acknowledging my own, what I like to say, inherent brilliance and magic and power as a latina growing up in the bronx growing up poor like there's a lot of beauty and power in that story Mm. in those experiences and there has also been what i realize now as an adult looking back a lot of socialization and conditioning that has limited my understanding of what's possible for people like me and so Part of the trust journey for me, one of the biggest parts of the trust journey for me has been unlearning and healing that conditioning and that story that I have unconsciously uh, internalized. And that is true for our kids, right? Like that's true for our teachers as well. And so I, I wanted to connect that back because I feel like when we go through things ourselves, we can better understand and see how that's unfolding for other people. And, mm. you know, when I, when I design and facilitate learning experiences and the reason why I pay so much attention to the person and the pedagogy is because I want our teachers to do that for our kids as well. You can't focus so much on the how and the what and forget about these beautiful, brilliant, magical beings that are in front of you every single day. Mm. Like they're not empty vessels that you're meant to fill. They actually come with like a plethora of beautiful, powerful experiences and magic. And so do we. And somehow we're conditioned to believe that that's not true, especially as Black, Indigenous people of color. So I, so anyway, circling back to your question, one of the main trust things has been learning how to trust myself because I have been conditioned to play it safe and to actually believe that there's a limit to how, what is possible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so trust myself. And when I say trust myself, I also mean trust God within me and the abundance that that is and that that's a, that, that is available to me. Again, it is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it is a process every single day, but that's been one of the main things um, I would say that has been like a recurring theme mm-hmm. in, my, in my walk. Mm. And what what would you say it looks like to trust yourself? And the reason why I'm digging in here is because so much of, you know, we talk about this in the program. I talk about this all the time. <laughs> like when I'm going live and having conversations, 80% of this journey is mindset. Mm-hmm. Like so much of this journey is around your own internal beliefs around your yourself, your self-beliefs, your, your beliefs around your own worth. Whatever you believe about yourself is going to be directly reflected within your business. And so this that's the reason why I'm digging into this a little mm-hmm. bit to help paint the picture for people. So A, they can anticipate this journey, but also begin to take on some of the mindset work that this journey is going to bring about. And so 
when you say you had to trust yourself, like what did trusting yourself look like? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm thinking of two examples. The first is something that happened to me actually with my first consulting project. It was a really big project. And I was just so surprised and grateful at the fact that I was referred for this and that this organization decided to sign me on to do this incredible, important work. And I just started questioning my abilities, even though the work that I was doing is work that I've been doing for like 20 years now. Like Mm -hmm. it makes no sense on paper. If you look at everything that I've done, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, although I know that that's okay. And that's important. I know it's toot, toot. Okay. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like I just, and I just sat there and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, you need to trust yourself. Like you have done such incredible work. You, you're known for your powerful design and facilitation. This is not going to be any different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to, you know, work through that. And, you know, thankfully the project was beautiful. It was wonderful. They were incredible people. I mean, it was just such a blessing on so many um, levels, but that's one example. And mm. the other example that I can think of, and this is like really hard for me to admit, but I'll share it because I think it's important. And that is like trusting myself to say no. When a project or an opportunity comes up and for whatever reason, you just feel inside yourself that it actually isn't right. It's not right for you for a, you know a numerous reasons. It, it could be the pay. It could be because you just don't have the capacity. It could be because you know, you're not, your spidey sense is telling you there's something up and you're not really sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's new to me because again, like I, given my background and upbringing and lived experiences, like you don't say no to money. Like (laughs) you don't, you know, the security blanket is important. Um, Mm -hmm. And at least that's Mm -hmm. how up until this point, listen, like I said, please know that I have by no way have arrived. This is still something that I'm working through like currently, but That's another example is like trusting yourself to know when something is right and is, and is something that you want to pursue and when it isn't and trusting that again, like just like this opportunity came, there will be other opportunities that will line up and align to your values, to your capacity, to your interests, to your passions, et cetera, et cetera. But it is hard because, you know, like when you do it, you're just like, at least for me, I was like, I'm sorry, who are you? Like, <laughs> you're saying no to this? Like, are you okay? <laughs> but again, it's part of that trust. Yeah. That trust. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that so much. I want to go back to one thing that you said that deeply resonated with me because it's a part of my entrepreneurship story too, of just like the unlearning that you have to do, the self healing, the self recovery that you have to do in order to to not getting your own way of this journey. And like one of those things that was true for me in my journey, I I really struggled calling myself an entrepreneur. Mm. Like early on in my journey, I really struggled with like claiming that word. I was like, I'm not an entrepreneur. Like that just, it just did not feel, feel like it didn't feel like it fit. And like after so much reflection, it was so interesting because one of my friends who I love dearly, one of my classmates, she was like, don't you have your own consulting business? I was like, yeah, girl, I know. But like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel, I'm, I don't, I, I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur though. And I had this realization that I share this story often of like, I was watching a series on Netflix called Hip Hop Evolution. And it was an episode of, the history of hip hop in the South and Master P, Percy Miller was telling his story of just like, we had to be our own savior. Like Mm. we had to, when we did not have the means to go out and, and afford therapy and like do all these things, like we had to make them happen in our community. And so what I was doing was I was selling CDs out of the trunk of my car. I was going door to door. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, that's the reason why I don't connect with the word is because of the privilege and language. Like I didn't grow up with that word. Mm. Like, so like the girl who would, who was my classmate in high school, who would braid my hair and I would pay her 20, $25 to do that. I didn't call her an entrepreneur, <laughs> but like she was 
Yeah. Like that was just Monique who was braiding hair. Somebody was cutting, <laughs> cutting hair in the dorms. Like, like that's not the language we use to describe it. And realizing to your point, the messages that society reflects back to us of who is an entrepreneur. I had unconsciously learned that an entrepreneur doesn't look like me. Yes. And that's what was some of my struggle of being able to, to wrap around the word. And part of my unlearning was actually diving into the stories of Black women who have been entrepreneurs that actually our, our society has oppressed. Yes. Because we will hear more about Mark Zuckerberg and mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos before we hear about Stagecoach Mary, before we hear about Georgia Gilmore, like Black women who historically have have survived through entrepreneurship when they were excluded from the workplace. And so I, I deeply resonate with, with what you shared of just like this journey of unlearning and the limiting beliefs that we each hold, particularly when you are, are a member of a margin, a, a community that has historically been oppressed in this country. Mm-hmm. There are consistent messages that we are fed around where we belong, what we should and should not have access to, that it's a part of just inhaling the smog that is all around us. Yes. And part of our responsibility as entrepreneurs, our success depends on us unhailing that smog and unlearning those messages. So thank you so much for sharing that part of your journey. Um, so tell us about your business. Tell us about the problem that you're solving. People might be able to assume it based off of some of our conversation, <laughs> but what's the problem you're solving in your business? Yeah. So the work that I do focuses on, you know, supporting educators, school leaders, school districts, organizations that are really committed to dismantling the educational inequities that exist in our system, particularly by anchoring their practice in liberatory pedagogy. So culturally relevant, sustaining education. Um, and, and even more in particular that are willing to actually engage in the self-work. So going back to that, you know, sort of phrase that I shared earlier about the pedagogy and the person, uh, that is something that I am deeply committed to, and it is part of the approach that I take because I find that oftentimes, you know, especially with CRSE, culturally relevant, responsive, sustaining education, there's it's such a buzzword. It becomes such a buzzword, and so many school districts and organizations are hungry, and and I think this is a good thing. They're hungry to learn about it, to know about it, to to understand it, to practice it, but they see it more as like something that you do versus something that you are. Um, and so that is the specific sort of, I guess, to answer a question, the problem that I am solving in my consulting business. And that is really ensuring that organizations, schools, school districts, educators, they understand what CRSE is, right? The what and the how, but that they're just as equally understanding their who and how that connects to their what and their how, so that they see this as a way of being that informs their way of doing versus something that is like a checklist and something that I do to children. So yeah, so just really providing that quality, holistic training that really takes into account the whole person and not just strategies. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit around like what this looks like in practice for you. So in terms of like services, like how did you kind of nail down on what this would look like in terms of your service model? Mm -hmm. So the services that I provide are essentially like designing and facilitating learning experiences to, you know, professional development. Um, And then, as I said, you know, I I got my certification in coaching. So that's also a part of the work that I do if, if folks want is sort of a transformational liberatory approach to coaching um, that goes hand in hand with the pedagogical training. So designing and facilitating learning experiences and then coaching. Mm. It's just, it's, oh my gosh. I'm just like, like when you hear your story, you hear your receipts. It's like your education consulting business. It's like, yeah, it makes so much sense. Like that's what she, that's her zone of genius. Like that is her purpose. That's what she's walking in. And like, I just want to like pull up for a second for those who are listening to us, because I think some of that is it's when you're in the midst of it, it feels so hard to kind of make those decisions and like have that level of clarity. Mm -hmm. But nine times out of 10, what you're doing in your consulting business, you are likely already doing in your nine to five. Right. 
whether it's coaching, professional development, whether it's designing, (laughs) like, I think some people think that there's like this super hard pivot between like, you know, your, your current day-to-day nine to five and what you're doing in your consulting business. But there's so much direct alignment and translation there. It's just a matter of like, what does it look like to narrow in terms of the problem and narrow in the service? Mm -hmm. That's a part of like the healthy challenge. So talk to us around like, how did you find your first client? Because that's like one of the questions everyone wants to know is like, well, how did you find your first client? What did that process look like? So tell us a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was my biggest fear too. I'm like, where am I going to get work? (laughs) I got to go find people. Um, Well, so my first project actually was a referral. Someone that I worked with knew that I was doing this work and happened to connect with an organization that was looking for an expert in CRSE. We connected, talked, and, you know, ended up working together. And the project really, I mean, God is so good. Like, seriously. Like, I mean, if I could have manufactured the best first project to have on this journey, like this would have been it. Like Mm. I worked with an amazing group of people at a nonprofit in New York city and, you know, basically built a program from, from scratch for them on CRSE. And they trained their entire organization, both instructional and non-instructional staff in this, in this sort of, uh, I mean, it's a program really is what I created. And it was also beautiful because it impacted my hometown, right? So like these mm. instructional, instructional staff are working with public schools across New York City, including the district that I grew up in. Like legit, wow. there were coaches that I trained that go to District 10, which is where I went to school. Wow. I mean, talk about full circle. So, so that was my first project. And I mean, it was a tremendous amount of work. I think I probably did the job of five people <laughs> in one but, you know, like I was just getting started. And I think that's also part of the journey is to, you know, start to just as you move along, you see what are the different sort of components of the work that you do when you own your own company. And I'm not there yet, but I think I will be soon is figuring out like what sort of supports do I need so that I can do what I do best, but still have the support to still produce the best work that I possibly can. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, that was my first project. And, you know, it was beautiful, wonderful, and such a gift. Mm. So if you all have questions, make sure you drop those into the chat. I'll make sure that those get answered. And I already see this happening, but I just want to affirm if B shares anything that like really hits your heart or resonates with you, tap on the hearts. Uh, so that way that's just a little like, yes, like, amen. <laughs> like that's the amen heart. Just to be able to interact with us and give us some feedback. So you've mentioned something that I think is interesting to dive into because the conversations that I've had for this week where folks were in cycle six and seven. And so they're around like, they're six months under in their business versus you, you've, you've passed the milestone of, of year one. And so when you think back to that like beginning of the year to now, so in that first year, what would you say would be like the one to two like business lessons that you've learned in this first year of your business? Hmm. That is a great question. One or two business lessons. I would say the first is, I would say probably like the importance of having, and and you don't really have this right away because you have to sort of live this and experience it before you actually get there. At least that's what I think. But like having systems in place, like, you know, when someone reaches out to you, like I, my first, I'm like, I don't know, what, what do I do? Let's have a conversation. <laughs> like that, and that's cool, right? Like, and there's something organic and really nice about that, actually. But like, you know, after some time, again, thinking about being efficient with your time, having systems in place. So, you know, what's the sort of journey that, you know, I'm, I'm a designer, you know, by like trade. So like, I think about the experience that someone has from beginning to end. I know you talk about this too, EJT, right? So like thinking about when someone reaches out to you, you know, what's that process like? You know, are you going to have them do a form? Are you going to do a consult? You know, and then what's the process like as you're working with them, right? Like, what do you, what do you want to learn and know as you're working with someone to make sure that they're satisfied and happy and that you're living up to their expectations and goals and that also 
you can then adjust course if needed so that in the end you have for lack of better terms, a satisfied customer, right? So like, you want to make sure that you have a positive relationship with folks that you partner with. So I would say that that's one thing is like sort of thinking about that journey, thinking about people that you partner with, what, what, what's it look like when they first engage with you? What's it look like in the middle of your engagement? And then what's it look like when you close out the project? Because there's celebrating to do, right? And learning yeah. to do there as well. So that's something that I didn't have at the beginning that I now have. And then I'm still, of course, in the process of tweaking. So that's one thing. And I would say the other thing, and again, this is a process as well, but is really just understanding like what your minimum pricing is going to be. Talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) I know you've helped me so much with this, but, and again, because I was new and still am, I mean, I'm only a year in, I think that, and this is tied to what I was saying earlier, we tend to undervalue our expertise and our skills. And so getting as clear as you can on like what what is the minimum that you're willing to accept for a project, of course, allowing yourself some wiggle room because you might have a project that you really want to do and for whatever reason, they don't have the budget for it. And that's cool. Like you, I, I believe in doing that as well. But I think that it's hard when you don't really know what to charge. It sort of, at least for me in the beginning, it was a form of something that brought me a lot of like worry. Um, Mm. And so now given the various projects that I've had, I have a better understanding of what I'm comfortable with, what I'll do and what I, what I won't do. But again, it is still a work in progress. I'm only a year in, so I'm still learning. Mm. Mm. Those are such good lessons because the operations piece, like, like that's what separates people from being a consultant versus a CEO. Mm like the business operations, because like the business operations is what allows you to scale the work. And so I heard you name some like specific systems of like, you need a client onboarding system, Mm -hmm. which is like when someone, when someone first expresses interest in working with you, literally what is their experience? Right. Is it like, they just send you an email and then you manually respond with, here are some times I'm available. Do you send a Calendly link? Is there a form that they complete? Is there, and on the form, is there different check boxes of what they might be interested in in terms of services? And then they have to provide a little bit of information. And then your system is going to grow and get even more sophisticated where maybe based upon those check boxes, now there's an automated email that if they check the box of coaching, they get this email. If they check the box of PD, they get this email. Mm-hmm. And so like you, you don't have to think about those things like when you're just getting started, but then when you scale, like you have got to think about those things, which is why even now as an entrepreneur, I have, I have a number of experience with my clients where I'm like, you expect high quality customer service and you have no idea what that means from a system standpoint because mm-hmm. you're asking me to do something after this deadline, which would actually cause me to completely undo my systems <laughs> in order to meet that request. So the answer is going to have to be no, <laughs> because <laughs> I can't do that because I have a whole entire automation set up based off of this that now at the end of this deadline, it shuts everything off. And now since the deadline is passed, you want me to go in and turn everything back on? Mm-hmm. The answer is no. So I, 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 I appreciate you naming that of like, because that year one is when it's just like systems become super critical. And I heard you also named the other side of it of client offboarding. It's not just, oh, okay, we're done. It's like, it might be a survey. It might be an exit interview. There might be a client gift. There might be a renewal conversation or a renewal process. There are so many different pieces or possibilities of what that could look like. And then you mentioned this money conversation. (laughs) I'm like thinking of like all the conversations that we've had around this, which have just been like so (laughs) fruitful and so beautiful. And what I appreciate you naming for our our audience is because there's a piece, because pricing is so like, there's so much ambiguity in the education consulting world around pricing, part of you determining your pricing is you literally just have to do the work. Mm -hmm. There's some of um, some research that you can do, market research of what are other people charging and, and X, Y, and Z. 
But then there's, there's a level of like a spirit of discernment that like you have to tap into of like, you need to just get the contract charge what you think you should charge mm-hmm. and then reflect of how does that feel? If you're right. like, it's a hell of a lot of work. Yes. And this little coin that I got from that, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Right. So we're about to double this price. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I find that to, so, to be so beautiful about that is you now have an experience that's like, this is why I'm not charging less than that because right. I did that before. Right. <laughs> and I'm not doing that again. Saying no becomes easier once you've you've ran those tests and you've gotten that data. Mm-hmm. So this is the last call for questions. If you got questions, drop them in now so that way I can make sure that we get those answered. B, what advice would you have for folks who are in the first year of their journey or maybe they're like contemplating if they should or should not do this? What advice would you have for those educators? Mm-hmm. I would honestly, I would just say if this is something that is pulling at your heartstrings, it's something that you're passionate about, it's something that you really feel that you need and want to do, then do it. Trust yourself, trust the pull. It's there for a reason. And, you know, one thing that I know you talk about a lot, EJT, as well, is just that, you know, we tell our children, our students to dream and that anything is possible for them. The sky is the limit, right? But we forget that for ourselves sometimes, I think. And so I I would just say, like, what would you tell your kids? What would you tell your kids if they had this dream, if they Mm. had this pull, if they had this thing that they wanted to go do and put out into the world? What would you tell them? That's what you need to tell yourself. Mm. Um, Because I, I, you know, I know that it's scary and it's hard, especially, you know, given our lived experiences, depending on what they are, we may feel like we need to really hang on to that security blanket. And that's absolutely understandable. And that, that is no joke. That is real. And it is also true that we have gifts to release into this world. And this is why I believe so much in the work that you're doing, EJT, is because I think the people that need to be at the table are the people that have actually been in the classroom and that understand the ins and outs of what is going on in our educational system? What is going on with our babies? So yeah, I would just say, go for it. Trust yourself, release those gifts into this world. Because, you know, as, as I think as a book, we're the ones we've been waiting for. Like, I, I really believe that we are in a pivotal moment in our society. Sometimes it's scary, but it's also like, wow, what is possible? What is possible? So if there's a, something that you want to put out into the world, I would say absolutely go for it. Get the support that you need, gather your village and just do it. Oh, I love that. And you said before that, like, one of the things that made you think about this going on this education consulting journey was the freedom. And so what is what does that freedom look like for you in this consulting chapter? I mean, honestly, this is like the most freedom I've ever had in my entire life. Like I, I was having a moment the other day where I'm like, I remember there was a time in my life where like I prayed and wanted what I have now. And yet here it is. Um, Mm. I mean, it's just the freedom to decide what you're going to do with your days, how you're going to do them, who you're going to spend them with, deciding what your workday is going to look like, deciding who you're going to partner with, who you're not, where you're going to work from. I mean, I love to travel. Anybody that knows, knows that like, I, I love, I just love to do it. So having the flexibility of being able to travel wherever I want and work from that place while I see the world and do my life's work. I mean, that's beautiful. So yeah, it's just this, it's just, it's sort of overwhelming sometimes to be honest, to think about just the freedom and flexibility that I have, like just, it's been such a gift and such a blessing that it's something that I don't think that I ever could have really imagined for myself, but I have it. Mm. Oh my gosh, your uh, village is in the chat sharing so much love um, right now. Uh, someone just named that you are be inspired to all of us <laughs> and you are an amazing spirit. Never forget that. So we have three questions here that we're going to run through and then we're going to okay. close out. So the first question, so this kind of goes back to the onboarding systems and processes that we were talking about is what kind of questions are on your initial contact form? And 
to reword this question a little bit is because it could be on the contact form, but kind of bigger and more open is like, what are some things that you would want to know from a potential client mm-hmm. um, to determine fit? I think that would be the, mm. the, the bigger question. Yes. And then that's what would, it could be on a form. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you kind of decide the mechanism. So be what might be some of the things that you would want to know about a potential client to help assess fit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I want to name, this is actually something that you helped me with tremendously because I also was like, what do I ask? Um, <laughs> but so I would say a few things. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, what is it that they're looking to do? What are their goals? What, what are they, what are they hoping to accomplish through a potential partnership? I also like to know some context for what has led them to this point of identifying these goals. I have learned, thanks to you, to also ask for what their budget is so that I'm clear what they're able to afford and not. I also ask, this is something that I've actually added to my process recently, is why? Why now? Mm. Why this? Mm. And I think that why question actually is, is one that helps me to determine fit, to see whether or not their why is aligned with my why. Um, And whether or not they can even articulate a why, like, are they doing this because, you know, like for show, or is it actually something that is really important to them and that they're committed to? Yeah. I think those are the, those are the main things. What are their goals? What are they hoping to accomplish? What's some context for what has led them to where they are now to want to pursue this partnership? What's their budget and what's their why? Mm, those are so good. They're so, so good. I found that, um, so I kind of named this, but to make it even more direct of like that initial contact form, I think some of the missteps that people make, they, they have the wrong uh, intention or purpose in the form, which causes them to ask the wrong questions. Mm. And so the purpose of the form shouldn't be to get contact information, which is important, but that shouldn't be the primary, you know, um, purpose, the primary purpose should be qualifying the the client of like, is this a fit uh, for my services? Because if I ask the right fit questions, it's going to save me time because I'm going to know by reviewing the form whether or not it's worth us getting on a call. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's the perspective you need to have when you're, you're thinking about that pre-consult form is what are the qualifying questions that you need to ask and so B just shared a couple of examples of like, what's your why? Like, what are some of your goals? Because I've had in my personal consulting business, I coach principals. I've had some folks who their responses to those goals. I'm like, I can't help you with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like, I'm not the coach for you. And so uh, those sound like great goals, but like, that's, we all need to hop on the phone because that's, that's actually an internal issue you're going to have to work with, or you want me to come and fix your school. And like, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that ain't it. And just to like, like underscore this budget piece is, and, and this goes back to the worthy work, the self work yes. is you deserve to know before you spend your time with a client, mm-hmm. whether or not they can afford you. You deserve to know that, right? And, and you can make the choice, right? If, you, if, the, if the answer is no, you can still make the choice if you want to have the conversation with someone. But you do not need to operate in this gray space. This is the beautiful thing about your business is that you are in a position of power in your own business that you can require that someone is transparent with their budget before they speak to you. Absolutely. And yeah. so, and that's, that is, that is a, a, a self-honoring boundary of I am not to give someone 30 minutes of my time when I know that their, their budget is not aligned with my fee because that's, that's not honoring my time. And I can give them referrals. Absolutely. But like honoring my time and honoring, you know, my expertise and my boundaries and also honoring their time, it doesn't make sense for us to continue to move forward. So that is one of the questions that everybody should have as, as, as their, one of their pre-qualifying questions mm-hmm. is, is what is your budget for this engagement? And I even put the language failure to answer this question will prevent us from moving forward. Because some folks will try and put, well, we just want to see what you come up with. Are right. we interested in knowing your rates? <laughs> no, 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 no. Even if you are not sure, put an estimate, failure to answer this question will prevent us from moving forward. Then you can make it multiple choice if, if you want to. That's up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the next question was, once you onboard the client, what are some contracts that I need to have in place? Mm-hmm. So actually, NEJT, you should also like 
speak to I this. Can chime but, in. Yeah. yeah, I think so. From my experience, what well, I guess the way I'm interpreting onboarding is like once we have signed contract, so the onboarding happens after we've signed contract. But I'm not sure that I understand the question. I don't know, EVJT, maybe you have a sense of the nuance here that I can be able to speak to. Yeah, so I'm going to take a stab at, at answering the question. And then, Monisha, if I'm mispronouncing your name, my apologies, and please correct me in the chat. If, if we're not answering the correct question, the intent of how you asked it, then please uh, rephrase it for us so that way we can make sure you get your question answered. So one of the points that B just named is a beautiful point. A part of your onboarding process is the contract, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way this question is, is, is worded a little bit makes it seem as if, because it says, once you onboard the client, what are some contracts that need to have in place? the client should sign the contract as a part of their onboarding. And so uh, you need to have some type of, and it depends on what the actual service is and, and the, the service model of your business, because if you're a B2B model, meaning business to business, meaning you're working with organizations, it's going to be an independent contract, an uh, independent contractor agreement, which some organizations require you to use their contract. Some organizations there, they will allow you to, to provide the contract. So that is a part of the onboarding process. In a B2C model, meaning business to client, meaning the person who is paying for the service is an individual. Again, it depends on what the the actual service is. And so if it's coaching, then it would need to be a coaching agreement. If it's Mm -hmm. a online course or a small group coaching program, then there would need to be a client agreement as well. There would just be some different language because now when you're in an online course, there's some different intellectual property considerations versus coaching, which still has some IP considerations, but it's different in terms of it online versus coaching. So there's some different nuances there. The other thing, Monisha, and I'm seeing your affirmation that we've, mm-hmm. we're answering your question. So good. Um, the other thing, though, to consider is that there are other legal structures that you do need to have in your business. Um, they all depend upon your stage. But one of them is if you begin to hire independent contractors, then you are providing an independent contracting agreement for someone who's supporting your business. There needs to be some type of NDA or confidentiality clause within that. If you have a website, you're going to need some type of privacy policy that basically says to your audience that you're going to keep their information private, that they provide for you. And so, and you might have some terms and conditions for your services that basically say, here are our terms of working together, which sometimes there can be a little bit of overlap in the client agreement with terms and conditions, but a terms and condition could be no refunds. And that's a part of a a B2C model and B2B, it might be that there's a non-refundable deposit or your payment terms of how you're invoicing. So that's kind of some thoughts related to that question. And then our last question, B, I think this is a friend of yours because they say hello and that they miss you. Uh, so this is Jen Sickles. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she asks, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs planning on starting out as a side hustle with the goal to going full-time later? She states, I know that wasn't your experience, but I'm curious if you have thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I should say in some ways I, I did kind of do that with my coaching practice because I was getting my certification and, and I did have some clients in coaching while I was still working full-time. And so what I ended up doing was just, I mean, this seems super simple, but just carving out specific space in my schedule every week dedicated to in my example, my studies, right? Like I I had my Saturday morning block for engaging in all of my training and doing any homework that I had to do. Um, And then also being very specific in my schedule as to when I was going to take on coaching clients, just to create some sort of routine for me and also keep myself accountable that this was something that I, that I was slowly building into my sort of day-to-day with the goal of eventually transitioning. That's one thing. So scheduling, carving out space and time and energy for this work that you want to do. And then I, I need to also mention money because I think, at least for me, that was something that was very important to me. And I, honestly, I think it probably was one of, the, one of the things that held me back was saving a certain amount of money just to have that cushion and that security so that like when I was ready to take that leap of faith, that I had something to fall back on. And that may not be necessary for everyone, but that is something that I had to think about. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. 
Two quick thoughts I would add as someone who um, I've had my business for four years and I've been full-time for six months. So I was side hustling for about three and a half Mm -hmm. years. Two things that I would add, and I'm I'm being thoughtful about the language in the question that says, with the goal of going full-time later. So just just given that phrase, because there are some people who side hustle and they don't have intentions of full-time later, which is completely okay. But given that phrase, there are two things that I would name because when you say the goal of going full-time later means you plan on scaling and you also plan on your business replacing your salary. Um, And so the two things that I would name would be one, once you begin to get to a consistent four-figure month, you need to hire a virtual assistant mm-hmm. because you should you you that's going to allow you to scale right. It's going to allow you to kind of take some of the admin stuff off your plate, and that's going to expedite the revenue generating journey to help you continue to build your cushion and you determine what your cushion is. Because for me, I was like, I need a year of cushion. <laughs> like, Girl, I was, listen, I was like, you and I, I both. <laughs> I need 12 months yeah. worth of a cushion. At least. <laughs> at least. Okay. And when you, and I think this is a, a part of the mindset journey, mm-hmm. in order to, to scale, you need support, which means you are going to have to pay for a contractor to help you. And the moment they can take some things off of your plate, it frees you up to focus on more revenue generating tasks. So it's going to expedite your revenue generating journey to allow you to continue to build that cushion. The second thing that I would just name is run your numbers to be clear around what the, what I call in my business is the freedom number is, Mm -hmm. is the moment your business begins to replace your salary and you know, you have the choice when you want to make it. Right. So run that number to figure out what it is. And I know I'm not giving a specific formula, but like think through what all of your business or excuse me, all of your personal expenses, think through your insurance, think through your business expenses, think through your taxes and do your best effort to get up. This is the number that I would need to make per month to be able to hit what would be my freedom number that would position me that if I wanted to make the transition full-time into my business, I would be okay. Like I'd be making the same amount of money, if not more. I think the more you can have clarity on that, the more it, it frees you up to like not, at least for me, the moment I made in my business more than what I was making for an organization. Oh, you can't tell me nothing. Like, (laughs) I, the way I was at work, I was getting my work done, but I was like, first off, you ain't about to talk to me crazy because, <laughs> because I can go and be in my business. So, I mean, you need me more than I need you. So <laughs> you, you just start moving a little different at work yep. to where for me, that that's actually a really free feeling. Yeah. And, and you begin to realize all the ways in which we're subconsciously like, at the mercy of our organization because we're dependent on them for our financial freedom. There's some unconscious things that we don't realize of, oh, I don't, I'm not as, as open with my thoughts. I'm not as vocal as what I believe. I don't push back in the same Mm. way, but the moment you hit that freedom number, you become, it's, it's, it, you no longer have nothing to lose where it's like, even if I lose this job, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. I'm going to be all right. And that's a really beautiful, and for some people, for your supervisor, it's dangerous, but for you, it's a really beautiful place to be. This was a joy to have you and to hear your story. How can people get in contact with you and who should reach out to you? Oh, well, thank you again so much, EJT, for tonight and just for everything. Say it again. You've been such a blessing in my life. So thank you. And in terms of how people can get in touch with me, so... My website is in the process of being revised, but you can check that out. It's barbaraescudero.com. And this is my personal IG. I realized I didn't do my professional, but if you all, you can send me a direct message if you'd like, and you wanted to connect. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like if you're looking for support as an educator, as a school leader, as a school district, if you're committed to anchoring your practice in liberatory pedagogies, and you're also committed to doing that self-work that's inherent in it, hit me up. If you're interested in coaching and just doing your own self-work towards your own liberation and empowerment, please also hit me up because that is also work that I do and that I absolutely love. So, yeah. Yay. 
Oh my gosh. I love it. Uh, make sure everyone that you connect with B, follow B, so that way you can tune into her journey. B, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this the time. Thank you for the conversation. And we're just so excited to follow your journey. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you. And even just to, to witness, I won't even call it your entrepreneurship journey, but your walk of faith mm. is, is one that I'm personally inspired by. And so I'm grateful for all the ways you're trusting yourself, all the ways you're saying yes to yourself because you're inspiring all of us. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us tonight. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.